Welcome to Gestational Diabetes Club. I'm your host, Helena, dietitian, nutritionist, vegetable enthusiast, and big fan of strong coffee and dark chocolate. Join me here each week to chat about all things gestational diabetes. We'll cover everything you need to know about your nutrition, lifestyle, and all the messy bits in between so that you can feel empowered to optimize your blood sugar, grow a healthy baby, and create sustainable healthy habits to last a whole lifetime without the stress, overwhelm, guilt, or confusion. Thanks so much for joining me, and I hope you love it here. Hello, welcome back. So one of the most annoying things about gestational diabetes is just how inconsistent your blood sugar levels can be. And I'm talking about those moments when you eat something that is usually totally fine for your blood sugar, or you have something that on paper would be a fantastic choice, and then all of a sudden, like out of the blue, you get this spike. And I'm wondering, has this happened to you? If it hasn't, I would be very surprised. And, you know, congratulations, you are an absolute gestational diabetes unicorn. But if it has happened to you, please don't worry. I'm sure that absolutely everybody listening to this podcast is nodding their head right now. This is pretty normal. It happens to almost everybody. And it's obviously super frustrating and can feel like such a kick in the guts when you're already doing absolutely everything you can to keep your blood sugar stable. And I know that often you can be really quick to judge yourself and your food choices in these situations. I see it all the time with my clients, and I'm sure you've done the same where you have something and then you decide that that food clearly doesn't work for you anymore and you avoid it going forward and might even just start restricting carbs even more. But I actually see this as one of the biggest mistakes you can make with GD because realistically there are a million things inside your body that could be happening. Not quite a million, but pretty close actually. (laughs) And cutting out any food based off a one-off reading is likely to be unnecessarily restrictive And it also just might mean that you miss out on something that you really enjoy for no good reason. So today I want to talk about all of the things that could be happening when you get random high blood sugar numbers. Before I go into all of these factors, I also just think that it's cool to reframe things for a second. So I just want to say that our bodies are much, much cleverer than we usually give them credit for. And even though at the time it can very much feel like your body and your blood sugar is your worst enemy, There is actually usually a good reason behind these things, and generally our bodies are working for us, not against us. And it's actually kind of amazing when you think about it how many different systems, hormonal cascades and processes and everything can be at play at any given time inside of our bodies. We are actually so complex and everybody is so unique. It is incredible that without us even knowing, our cells are constantly communicating and responding and looking after us. And that doesn't always show up in the ways that we want it to. But there is usually like method behind the madness when we actually look at our body's systems. So I just think that it's important to keep perspective, realize that our bodies are very complex and sometimes we just can't outthink them. And sometimes it doesn't seem like there's a reason for something, but there probably is. So anyway, Let's talk about the things that do, that do influence your blood sugar, and this might actually blow you away a bit because as far as I know, there are 42 recorded factors that can influence your blood sugar. 42. That's a lot. So as I was saying before, it would actually be a big mistake to think that your food choices are solely responsible for what's going on with your blood sugar. Now, it would be an exhaustingly long episode, I think, if I went into detail about every single one of these 42 factors, so I'm actually just going to list them off and elaborate on some of them where it seems relevant. 
And also note that some of these are more applicable to somebody with type 1 diabetes, which is the type of diabetes that is autoimmune and where the pancreas doesn't produce any insulin at all. So people with this condition are completely insulin dependent. So not everything is relatable to somebody with gestational diabetes necessarily, but still I'm going to read out them all because I think that you will find this really interesting. Okay, so let's get into the 42 factors and I'm going to break these down into categories as well. So first of all, we've got our food factors. The first one is carbohydrate quantity. So we know that carbohydrates are going to increase blood sugar levels and if you have more carbohydrates, it's going to increase your blood sugar more. Then we've got carbohydrate type. So I'm sure you also know that having lower GI carbohydrates is going to have a smaller impact on your blood sugar levels than having something that is high GI. Then we've got fats. And we know that fats can slow metabolism and digestion, and so it can buffer a rise in blood sugar from um, carbohydrates. But at the same time, fats can increase blood sugar on their own. It's a more delayed effect, but they certainly can. And same with protein, very similar. We know that if we pair our carbs with protein, then we might get a um, more gradual rise in blood sugar. But again, protein on its own can increase blood sugar. Then we've got caffeine. And there's kind of mixed evidence on caffeine. It seems like for some people, especially because it stimulates a hormonal response, having caffeine can increase blood sugar. But over time, Having caffeine in your diet can actually seem to make people more insulin sensitive, so it's quite an interesting one. Then we've got alcohol, probably not so relevant to you whilst you're pregnant. I very much hope that you're abstaining from alcohol, but we do know that because the liver processes alcohol and our liver is also responsible for putting glucose out into the bloodstream, Having alcohol can have um, some interesting effects on blood sugar. So if you're having an alcoholic drink with some sort of a sugary mixer, then that can increase your blood sugar. But otherwise, it can actually decrease blood sugar because it can interrupt the liver from doing its job in putting out more sugar into the bloodstream. Then we've got meal timing. And often in the research and within my clients as well, we find that if you're having something to eat late at night, then it's more likely to make your blood sugar go higher than if you had eaten that food earlier in the day. Then there's dehydration. I talk about this all the time. So being dehydrated can lead to increased blood sugar levels. Then we've got the microbiome and your gut bacteria. And we don't actually really know how this impacts blood sugar levels, but we do know that it seems like people with gestational diabetes have a different looking gut microbiome compared to somebody without GD. So that may or may not be playing a role in your blood sugar. Okay, then we're on to the next category. So this is medications. So medication doses, for example, if you're on insulin and you're on a large dose of insulin, it's going to have a greater effect on reducing your blood sugar levels. Then we've got medication timing. So for example, if you're somebody who takes insulin, depending on the type of insulin that you take, and if you take mealtime insulin, For some people, that can make a difference when you actually take that in relation to your meal. And then we've got medication interactions. So medications that aren't related to diabetes, so not insulin or metformin or whatever. Other types of medications may rise or lower blood sugar too. And then separately, we've got steroids. And we know that steroids definitely increase blood sugar and that's relevant for 
quite a number of people during pregnancy who might need steroids being administered, particularly if their babies need some help with their lung development. Steroids can be given and that can really dramatically increase blood sugar. Then there's also niacin. So if you're taking vitamin B3 and that can be used for things like heart health, then that can also increase blood sugar levels. Then we'll move on to the next category, which is activity and exercise. So first we've got light exercise. So doing something like a gentle walk, which is generally recommended in gestational diabetes, tends to have a blood sugar lowering effect. But on the flip side of that, if you're doing high intensity exercise, so if that's something more like sprinting or weightlifting, which some of you might well still be doing during pregnancy, that can actually increase your blood sugar in the short term. Over the longer term, it's more likely to continue dropping your blood sugar because it can make you more insulin sensitive and make your insulin work better. But in the short term, it can increase your blood sugar because your body is working to put more sugar into the bloodstream to fuel that exercise. Then your level of fitness can come into it as well. So whilst you might see some big drops if you first start exercising and you have diabetes, if you're actually relatively fit, then you might see a smaller lowering effect in your blood sugar compared to somebody who isn't as fit as you. Um, The time of day you do your exercise, so if you're doing exercise in the morning versus the evening, that might have a differing effect for different people. Then we've got food and insulin timing around exercise, and this is probably more relevant to somebody who is insulin dependent. But say if you eat something before exercising and you exercise straight away, then your food might not have had a chance to absorb, so your blood sugar may be more likely to go lower during that exercise session and then be followed by a high blood sugar level afterwards. So then the next category is biological factors, and the first one there is too little sleep. So we know that if you're getting poor sleep or you're not getting very much sleep, you are much more likely to have high blood sugar levels. Same with stress and illness. If you are stressed, then you're much more likely to have high blood sugar. If you've had a recent low blood sugar episode, so if you've had hypoglycemia, then you're more likely to get another hypoglycemic event, which is really interesting, and same with high blood sugar levels. So if you've had a situation of quite high blood sugar levels, then you're more likely to experience that again. And same if overnight you've been having high blood sugar levels overnight, the next day you are much more likely to be experiencing high blood sugar levels and find that much more difficult to bring back down. Then we've got the dawn phenomenon, which is that situation where your body can release hormones when it's leading up to the morning, so around 4 or 5 a.m. This doesn't seem to happen in everybody, but it is common. It happens to a lot of people that your body starts producing more hormones to wake you up. And so this can trigger release of glucose into the bloodstream and can increase your blood sugar levels. And then the next one is more relevant to those of you who may be taking insulin. If there's any issues with your infusion set, then that could increase your blood sugar if the insulin isn't actually getting into your body properly. And then similar, so if you're using the same sites on your body for your injections all the time, then that can lead to scar tissue buildup. And so that can mean that there is more of a variable absorption of insulin, meaning that it's more likely to go high. And then your insulin is likely to work better if you inject into a low body fat area, so a more muscular area of your body. And then similar to being sick, having allergies can increase your blood sugar levels. 
um, not really relevant whilst you're pregnant, but getting your period can have a variable impact on blood sugar levels. Again, not so relevant, but going through puberty can really, really increase blood sugar levels due to all those hormones circulating. Having celiac disease, that can have a variable effect. So it could either raise or lower your blood sugar levels depending on how your celiac is treated and managed. Smoking, again, I really hope that none of you are smoking. But if you are, then that can increase blood sugar levels too. I promise we're getting near the end. We've got um, the next factor is environmental factors. So having expired insulin will increase your blood sugar levels because obviously it's not going to work properly. Inaccurate blood sugar readings, and I'm sure you're all familiar with this, we know that blood sugar meters, they are not perfect and they are not always accurate. So that could mean that you get a reading that's way too high or way too low. The temperature and the weather, so that could, again, that can increase or decrease blood sugar levels. And it's typically observed that hot, um, like hot weather is going to increase your blood sugar levels and cold weather might decrease your blood sugar levels. Being sunburnt can also increase blood sugar levels. And altitude, that can probably have a variable impact depending on the person. And then we've got behavioral and decision-making factors. So checking your blood sugar more often. And that is more likely to see lower blood sugar levels because obviously then you have more control over what's going on. Your default options and choices. So the way that you like present your food, for example, whether you use a large plate or a large bowl or a smaller plate or bowl can impact on the amount of food you're eating, say. And so then that can therefore in turn have an impact on blood sugar levels. And then we've got decision-making biases. And this is kind of what I was getting at where I say that Often, if you experience like a high blood sugar level after eating a certain meal, you are kind of more likely to then throw out that meal and think, I can't do that. That's not going to work for me anymore. And that's actually really a bias that you're making because you're looking at that negative outcome that one time and assuming that that food is therefore responsible for that blood sugar outcome. And so instead of looking at all of the times you might have eaten that food and had a normal blood sugar level, you're focusing on the time where you got the negative outcome and making your decision based on that. So we could call that a decision-making bias. And there's a few different biases that can be at play at any given time. I'm not going to go into them because it's interesting, but it's probably going to be too long of an episode if I do. But of course, that always comes into it and that can increase or decrease blood sugar levels depending on what's going on. And then lastly, we've got family relationships and social pressures. And again, of course, that can have a variable impact on your blood sugar levels. We could talk about like peer pressure and things like that. And if everybody's eating a certain thing or like you're all going out to a restaurant, for example, then of course, that's going to make a difference to your food choices and therefore your blood sugar levels. And, you know, there's some other ones that I don't think have even been listed here, like your mood, for example, which can totally increase or decrease blood sugar levels and same with stuff like stress levels. So there's honestly just so many things that go into your blood sugar response. And I basically just wanted to go through them all to help you remember that next time you get a high reading and you want to throw in the towel and cry and eat nothing but carrot sticks from now on, please remember that it really might not be you and it might not be the food that's the problem. There are just so many things that could be happening at any given moment and it can be very difficult to stay on top of all of these factors all the time. So if you are struggling to keep up with it all, please know that you're just human. 
There's so much going on. Our bodies are so complex. So no one's expecting you to be perfect all of the time. And it's just impossible to be perfect all the time. But I really hope that that reassures you in some way. And I know some of it probably went over your head. But the purpose of this episode was not to make you have to remember all of those different factors. It's really just to give you an understanding that there's just so much going on and gestational diabetes is not easy and it's not as simple as just saying, right, like eat low GI carbs and you're good. There's just so much going on all the time. So I want to mention like if you are struggling keeping up with it all, then getting external support might be a good option for you. And in my coaching programs, I'm basically there so that you can just outsource all of the decision making about your food and your carbs and that side of things. So at least some of those factors that influence your blood sugar can be taken care of. And I can also provide an outside perspective, which can be really helpful because you can often get stuck like in your own head and in your own situation and find it hard to look a little bit bigger picture and zoom out a bit to see what actually could be going on. A lot of my clients actually find it very helpful just having me there as a sounding board and we're usually in contact every single day. And so I can really bring in that external perspective to see like, okay, well, was it the food or could it have been, you know, this other thing? I know that you told me you got like quite bad sleep this week. So maybe it's that that's going on. And so that can actually just really help them rationalize the situation as well as then obviously I can help support them in what the next steps might be so that they can still be optimizing blood sugar levels. So that is certainly an option that I want to make sure is available to you. So please DM me is probably the easiest on Instagram. I'm um, at nutrition.by.helena if you would like to find out some more about my coaching programs, because like I said, I'm there for you to be able to outsource some of the decision making and just take off some of that emotional load that you're going through. So if you're finding that gestational diabetes is really taking the joy out of pregnancy, then please know I'm here. I can help you find more emotional freedom help you eat meals that you actually enjoy, not feel like you need to constantly be restricting carbs and get some more stable blood sugar levels in the whole process. So DM me on Instagram. That's the easiest way. And I'm going to stop talking. I think that's enough for this episode and we will chat very soon. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. It'll make sure that you do get notified when every episode drops and I'd love it so much if you could leave a rating and review. But anyway, that's it from me. Bye. That is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't already, please make sure that you subscribe or hit the plus button so that you can get new episodes delivered straight to your podcast app every week. And if you did find this episode useful, I would appreciate it so, so much if you could leave a rating and review or share it with a friend. It helps me reach more people so that I can help them take some of the stress out of gestational diabetes too. And if you want to keep learning about all things gestational diabetes, head to my website to find all the ways that I can support you. Thanks so much. Chat soon. Bye.